Well, good evening. Uh, let me thank you again for the invitation to come and to spend the weekend with you. It has been a real joy and an encouragement. And uh, please do be assured of our prayers uh, for yourself as a congregation. And we cherish your prayers uh, for our fellowship in Kilmally and Ardnamurchan. We come this evening to worship God. And as we do some words from the psalmist, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Well, we're going to sing praises to our great God and Saviour in the words of the 100th Psalm, the metrical version of the 100th Psalm, which can be found on page 362 of the Scottish Psalter, and we'll sing verses 1 to 5 of the 100th Psalm. Let's now approach Almighty God in prayer. Let us pray. 
Gracious God, our hearts do rejoice to approach your courts once more with joy, to enter these gates with praise. Lord, how we delight to sing to you, to tell forth your praise to one another and to the wider world. How we love to sing of your mercy and your steadfast love. How we love to praise you that your word is truth. How we love to reflect on your goodness to us, that you have saved us, that you have sustained us, and all this through your sovereign grace. Lord, how good it is for us to know that we are the sheep of your pasture. We are those you feed with the milk of your word. We are those you lead through the guidance of your Holy Spirit as you lead us to streams of water where you restore and refresh our souls. And how good it is to know that you are our shepherd as we pass through days of difficulty. As some of us perhaps walk through that darkest valley even tonight to know that we need not fear any evil for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us for you are our shepherd. And so we come to you in faith, believing in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. We look to him, to his death and resurrection we look to his laying down of his life and his taking it up again in order that we might know the forgiveness of our sins and we might be raised to newness of life. We thank you that he is alive forevermore. Death has no dominion over him and that he cares for us day and night that he keeps watch over us, our comings, our goings, that he keeps our lives. Thank you for his tender care, that he carries his lambs close to his chest, that he binds up our wounds, that he drives away the wolves who would lead us away from the fold and from the Father. And so this evening as we gather in his name, for the final time this weekend, we ask that the love of Christ may be found among us, that the peace of Christ would rule in our hearts as one body of his people, that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly as we sing to one another with psalms and spiritual songs, and that the name of Christ may be honoured in all we say and do today and into the week to come. And so we thank you and worship you and pray to you now in his holy name. Amen. Well, our second item of praise is taken from Sing Psalms, page 163. Sing Psalms, Psalm 119. Verse 97 to verse 104. O Lord, how much I love your holy law. I meditate upon it all the day. 
It makes me wiser than my enemies, for your commandments ever with me stay. Psalm 119, verse 97 through to verse 104. Well, this evening I wanted to read together with you from Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 3, reading the first 17 verses. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. If you have before you a church Bible, that's on page 1185. Let us hear together the word of God. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And we do give thanks to God the Father for his word to us. We'll sing once more now, this time from Sing Psalms, page 17. We'll sing Psalm 16 beginning at verse 7 and singing through to the end of the psalm, page 17, psalm 16, I'll praise the Lord my God, whose counsel guides my choice, and even in the night my heart recalls instruction's voice.
Well, please do keep your Bible open there to Colossians chapter 3 as we think together about our new life in Christ. I'm not much of a football fan, but I know that with the summer season comes that the transfer market as players are sold often at great expense from one club to another. A transferred player comes under new management. They put on a new strip. They find themselves with new teammates, part of a new community. And in a sense, that's a bit like the Christian life. When we come to know the Lord, we come under new management. We have a new identity. We belong to a new community. It is a picture of the Christian life. It is a picture of the difference Christ makes. This morning we thought about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We came to the very heart of the gospel, the matters the Apostle Paul described as of first importance. The Psalms, the prophecies of the Old Testament looked forward to the events that were fulfilled at Calvary's cross and at the empty tomb. And the death and resurrection of our Lord are at the foundation of the Christian life, but also the basis of our Christian experience. And in Colossians chapter 2 from verse 20 into the chapter we read, chapter 3, we see that when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, we die to the old ways and we are raised to newness of life. We are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. And more than that, we are transformed. We are renewed after the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was the experience of the young church in Colossae. It's a very interesting history of that church. It's in Asia Minor, what we would now know as a Turkey. And it's not a church the Apostle Paul ever visited. It seems that when he was preaching around Asia Minor, he met this fellow Epaphras, who was from Colossae. Epaphras encountered Paul's ministry, he encounters Paul's message, he encountered Paul's Messiah, and he became a believer. And Epaphras was excited about his new faith. And when he went home, he told everyone, he wanted to share with everyone what had happened to him. And so we imagine he might have rounded up his friends and his family, his school classmates, his work colleagues. Maybe he prepared a buffet, and then he shared with them his testimony and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it seems that a church was born, a small, fledgling church that met in the home of this man Philemon. But the gospel bore fruit. As Paul reminds us in chapter 1, it's bearing fruit all around the world and he prayed that it would continue to bear fruit in their lives. The fruit of faith and of love 
and of hope. So though he hadn't met them, he had heard of them. And so Paul, who himself was in prison at this time, writes to them to tell them of his joy and to encourage them in their faith. And the purpose of the letter seems to be to encourage them to continue in Christ, in whom all the fullness of deity dwells. There was circulating at that time false teaching, teaching based upon human tradition, human teaching, a teaching that seemed to encourage either legalism on one hand or mysticism on the other. And Paul writes to this young church to remind them to remain faithful to Christ, not to become distracted by the latest fad and novelty circulating. He reminds them not to be enslaved to human teachings because a divine work has taken place in their lives. They have died with Christ and they have been raised with Christ. You see, the Christian faith is not a matter of turning over a new leaf. It is beginning a new life. They were raised to newness of life. They died to the old ways of life. And so he reminds them to continue in Christ, to keep looking to the glorious inheritance which is theirs in him. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is safe with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. They were residents in Colossae. Maybe they'd grown up there. Maybe they'd built homes there. But ultimately, they were citizens of heaven. They had houses, but their true home was with Christ above. And so having been raised to newness of life, they are to die to the old way of life, what a a former generation of Christians called mortification, putting to death the old ways in which they once walked. If you're a rugby fan, maybe you sing Flower of Scotland at Scotland Games. And it has that line, those days are past now. And in the past, they must remain. Well, for the believer, those words could be written under the old life. These things are in the past. And in the past, they must remain because we've been raised to newness of life. And so in our reading this morning in verses 5, this evening in fact, 5 to 11, Paul reminds them to, to put out the old in verse 12 to 17 to bring in the new. Putting out the old, putting to death, putting away, and then putting on the new in Christ. The story is told of a couple of young ladies who would attend parties, wild parties, and they became to faith. And they got an invitation one day through the post saying, come to this party, it's going to be great. And they wrote back and said, we cannot attend because we are dead. They had died to the old way of life. Those days are past now, and in the past they must remain. And Paul underlines this break with the past in three ways. Verse 
5, he says, put to death. Verse 8, he says, put away. Verse 9, he says, put off. He is emphasizing the decisive break with the past when someone comes to a living faith in the living Lord Jesus. And the Colossians used to live, they used to walk in the ways of the ancient world. Verse 7, he says, In these you used to walk when you were living in them, ways that were not pleasing to God. And Paul has this rather unhappy list between verse 5 and uh, between verse 9 and verse 5, in which he really describes the pattern of life in the ancient world. It reads rather like the works of the flesh he describes elsewhere in Galatians 5. And he describes how the people of his day and how the people of Colossae used to walk, how they used to talk. He describes their conduct, their conversation. He describes how they use their body and their tongue. And he says their lives were characterized by a lack of self-control and by loose speech. Verse 5, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and idolatry. This was normal in the ancient world. This was acceptable. This is what everybody was doing. And though it was acceptable to the wider society, it wasn't acceptable to God. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. People abusing their own bodies, people using and abusing one another for entertainment and exploitation. And he says, you as Christians, you've got to put that to death. You've got to close the door, you've got to draw a line under it. And you've got to honor God with your body because you are now part of Christ's body. And so honor him with your body. So he warns them about a lack of self-control. And then he warns them against loose speech. Verse 8, put these away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. I wonder if that list describes the atmosphere in anybody's home or anybody's workplace or anybody's school playground. He warns them against anger, outbursts of anger, shouting matches, slagging matches. He warns them against malice, gossip, slander, talking about people behind their back, tearing them down instead of building them up. Sarcasm, or as one person I met called it, scarcasm. Bullying, cyberbullying, cynical, critical language. And he warns them against obscene talk from their mouths, blasphemy, casual innuendo. Finally, verse 9, against lying and deception, even the little white lie. 
And the Apostle Paul says that when we come to Christ, he is Lord over not just our bodies, but over our mouths. Not just our conduct has to change, but our conversation as well. When I was growing up in the 80s, there was a comedy duo called Cannon and Ball. I'm sure some of you remember them. And they used to do stand-up comedy. They used to prevent, present uh, TV shows. And they enjoyed all the trappings of celebrity life, but it came at a cost. And they experienced some difficulties. And in the midst of these difficulties, one of them became a Christian. There was an evangelist who used to visit theatres, and he shared the gospel with one of them. And he shared the gospel with his comedy partner, and they both came to faith. And they quite literally cleaned up the act. They weren't on television so much, their careers didn't reach the same highs, but they continued to perform. And they said, we don't do that anymore. We don't do blue language. Unless our show is family friendly, we don't do it. Because the Lord had cleaned up their act, he had cleaned out their mouths. And they'd put away the old conversation, the old speech, the old self. Proverbs has much to say about speech. Its New Testament counterpart, the letter of James, has much to teach us about the tongue. Its power for good and its power for evil. Its capacity to bless and its potential to curse. And it says, no man can tame the tongue. But there is one. And the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, can tame our tongues and put a new song into our mouths. So we are to put to death, put away, put off the old ways. And the reason is, verse 10 and verse 11, because we have a new identity in Christ, and we belong to a new community in Christ. Negatively, we put off, put away the old ways, but positively, we put on the new self, verse 10. And in his letter, Paul has introduced us to a range of theological concepts. He's taught us that we have redemption in Christ. We have literally been bought back from slavery to sin. He has bought us back, not with silver and gold, but with his own blood. We have redemption. And we have reconciliation to God as our Father. Once each of us was alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But now, chapter 1, verse 22, he has reconciled us in his body, making peace in order that we might be holy and blameless before him. And in these Verses here, he introduces us to the idea of renewal, of regeneration. That the Lord is inwardly transforming us day by day by his spirit more and more into the likeness of Christ. One hymn writer says in these words, Lord, change to flesh my stony heart. The veil of sin again remove, apply your blood, renew, convert and melt it by your dying love. This heart by love subdue, and by your spirit make it new.
C.S. Lewis said that when the Lord moves into our hearts, he doesn't just make a few repairs. He undertakes a major renovation of our lives, sometimes uncomfortable, but ultimately that we might be renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. So we have a new identity and we belong to a new community. Verse 11, one in which there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Slivian, Scythian, slave or free. The Christian church is the most diverse body, institution on the face of the planet. And in the first century, it was characterized by that same diversity. There were Jewish believers. There were Greek believers. The sophisticated, cultured Greek would be found sitting in the pew next to the tough barbarian or the Scythian. The slaves would find themselves on an equal footing with their masters. All divisions of race and class and freedom were done away with or ought to have been done away with because all were in Christ and Christ is all and in all. And so they belonged to a new community. And the characteristic of that community, verse 12, was to be holiness. Drawing on language from the Old Testament, Paul tells us that they together were God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So they had to put to death the old ways for their individual good and for the good of the Christian community in which they had been called. If they were to continue living and speaking and behaving as they formerly had, it would be harmful to the community. It would probably blow the little church apart. And so Paul says, put all these things away. You've got a new identity in Christ. God is at work in you. And you are one of his people in his community. It's a lovely picture, isn't it, of the before and after of the Christian life. How they used to walk, how they now lived. It looks very similar to the description of the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, just as the following verses remind us of the fruit of the Spirit. But Paul says, put to death, put away, put off these old paths because you have a new identity and you belong to a new community in Christ. But what is to be the characteristic? What are to be the characteristics of that new community? And in verse 12, he gives us this list, this list of spiritual adjectives, of spiritual fruit. And interestingly, as he addresses the people, he does so in plural verbs. So he's writing not only to us as individuals and the individual qualities of our lives, but he's writing to what a congregational life should look like. What should be the characteristics of a congregation of his people? And we notice how often that phrase, one another, is repeated. 
We are to bear with one another. We are to forgive one another. We are to teach and admonish one another. And so in using that language and employing these plurals, the Apostle Paul is assuming that as Christians we will belong to a believing community. That we will gather together and meet together for encouragement. That our lives will overlap not only on a Sunday service or perhaps a midweek meeting, but at other points during the week when we enjoy friendship and fellowship in his name. That we are to relate to one another as members of a community, a multicultural, a multi-generational society. And he says the qualities of that community which is being renewed after the image of its creator, are to reflect the attributes of God in some way. Holy, beloved, compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient. The word love is very central here. They are beloved. They are supremely to put on love, but they are to reflect God's kindness. They are to reflect the compassion of Christ, who we read in the Gospels had compassion when he met people in need. They are to reflect the humility of Christ, humbling himself to the point of death. They are to reflect the meekness of Christ, They are to reflect the patience of Christ. Was he not so very patient with his disciples as they failed to understand all that he had been teaching to them? So they are being renewed after the image of their creator. And as the spirit of God is at work in their heart, they are to be renewed after his likeness to demonstrate these same qualities, these same attributes that he has demonstrated to them. What is a Christian church to look like? And what are to be the characteristics of a fellowship? And I want to suggest just briefly four things which our attention is drawn to in these verses. Verse 12 to 14, the love of Christ. Verse 15, the peace of Christ. Verse 16, the word of Christ. And then verse 17, the name of Christ. Paul has already commended this church, chapter 1, for their love and their faith and their hope. And he here reminds them that they are beloved of God. And as such, they are to love one another. Chosen, holy, dearly loved. They are to remember his gracious and loving initiative in the gospel, in sending Christ into the world. For he so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. So they are to love one another in showing compassion and kindness, in being meek, in exercising patience with one another. One poet puts it like this, O may that mind be formed in us which in your life we see. May we be humble, lowly, meek, from pride and envy free. 
We may, may we to others stoop and learn to imitate your love. So shall we bear your image here and share a throne above. To remember God's love there, to resemble his son in showing that love to one another. And there to recall how the Lord treated them when they perhaps have differences among themselves. And there's overlap here with our study uh, just the other evening, uh, last night, as we thought about the unmerciful servant, one who has forgiven much, and yet who failed to forgive others as he had been forgiven. And Paul says, if you have a complaint against one another, forgive one another. Why? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As we prayed this morning, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So supremely, we are to resemble Christ as we are renewed in his image in showing love to one another. And especially when in the context of a multi-generational community, there might be misunderstanding. And we are then to forgive one another, to bear with one another in love. Above all these, he says, all these spiritual fruit put on love. The greatest of these is love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I don't read many of these royal magazines, but it's always interesting whenever there's a royal function, how the newspapers and magazines always like to, to point out the wardrobe you know, Princess so-and-so was wearing a hat by this designer and, and a jacket by, by this fashion house. Interested in what they put on when they go to school, when they open some civic building. What do we put on? What do people see as we make our way to school, as we start at the workplace at 8 a.m. tomorrow, as we go on holiday? Do we put on love? The love of Christ is to be the defining characteristic of the Christian community. But then he says, verse 15, the peace of Christ is to rule in our hearts. We long for peace in our world. It would be lovely to have a ceasefire in Ukraine or Sudan or Yemen. It would be lovely for the conflict in Manipur, northeast India, to come to an end. We long for peace in our lives and in our hearts, that we might say, oh, peace like a river attendeth our way. We long to know more of the peace of Christ which surpasses all understanding and guards our hearts and minds. And all these things are promised. But the peace here, I think, is peace between the members of a Christian community in our lives corporately. Paul has already said, if you just look back a page, chapter 1, verse 20, that Christ came to make peace between man and God by the blood of his cross. That he is the great peacemaker. He comes to preach peace to those far off and those who are near. And he calls us to be peacemakers 
but he calls us also to be peacekeepers, those who keep the peace. The peace of Christ is to rule in your hearts. The word literally means something like a judge, an umpire, a referee. The peace of Christ is to have the final say when we're thinking how we might respond to somebody or some situation, the peace of Christ is to be the umpire that determines how we respond. The theologian John Woodhouse says, this peace is now to rule in the company of believers. It is to hold sway, to call the tune among us. This peace is to determine our relationships with one another. So if we are criticized, the peace of Christ is to be the umpire as to how we respond. If somebody says something unkind, perhaps untrue, the peace of Christ determines how we react to that. If you're a young adult and you, you don't want to come to church and there's a fight every Sunday morning, the peace of Christ is to determine how you may honor your parents. If we're nurturing bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts, the peace of Christ tells us to go and make peace with those who have wronged us. Let the peace of Christ, he says, rule in your hearts and be thankful. And that theme of thankfulness runs all the way through the next section, verse 15. We'll think about the word of Christ. And we're to sing with thankfulness as we have done tonight. And then 17, we're to think about the name of Christ and giving thanks in all things. We are to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. And Paul's life was characterized by thanksgiving. He was in prison, as he wrote, not a comfortable prison with a television, three hot meals brought to him every day. But he thanked God as he opens the letter, because of what the Lord has done in Colossae. And despite his discomfort, he had found contentment and he showed gratitude. And so he moves on from the peace of Christ, verse 15, 16 rather, to the word of Christ, that is to dwell in us richly. The Colossians had heard what is described in chapter 1, verse 5, as the word of truth, the word of the gospel, the word of Christ. Paul's ministry was a ministry of the word. Verse 28, he proclaimed Christ. He preached the word of Christ. And he wants that word of Christ to dwell in them richly the things they read, the things they listen to, the things they speak about, the things they sing about, the word of Christ. And we are in a supremely privileged position here in the West. Something like 95% of all Christian resources are in the English language. We have a superabundance 
of Bibles to read, of Christian books to enjoy, of sermons and talks and seminars to listen to, of music to play in our cars or as we jog along the street. The word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And Paul says very interestingly that it's to dwell in us as we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Paul's ministry, if you look back to chapter 128, was of teaching everyone in all wisdom. But he says every believer has some responsibility to do the same. Maybe not as he did open-air preaching. Maybe not as he did preaching in churches, writing letters. But instead in singing. And when we gather as a company of the Lord's people, three things are happening. We're exalting the Lord. We're lifting up the Lord's name and giving him the glory. We're evangelizing the world as, as the word is preached and the word is sung. And we're seeking to edify one another as we sing the words of Scripture, teaching and reminding one another of the mighty works of God, singing to one another, applying these truths into our own life circumstances. And so as we gather, we're not like passengers on a bus. It's not just a, a happy coincidence. We're all in the same place at the same time. But we're participants in a worship service, being ministered to, but also ministering one to another as we sing these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. We are participants and not passengers. The love of Christ, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and finally, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, he says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we came over on the ferry, there were some big HGVs. When we travel back tomorrow, I'm sure there will be more coming back and forth. I don't know very much about HGVs, but I'm a little bit acquainted with Eddie Stobart of a former generation, the founder of the Stobart Haulage Company. Stobart was a Christian, and his biography was entitled, Only the Best Will Do, because he believed that whatever he was doing, whether at home or in his business or in his church, only the best would do for God. He did it all for the name of the Lord Jesus. And his lordship plays out in our home, in our workplace, in our place of leisure. Do we ask ourselves, am I doing this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I behaving in a way that is worthy of my calling? Not just on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening, but during the working hours of the working week. Is my behavior in keeping with his character and will? 
Is it adorning the gospel? Is it enhancing the reputation of our Lord in this place? Do we have that same attitude that only the best will do whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And that keeps us, doesn't it, from making unwise choices be hard for us to fiddle the tax return in Jesus' name. Be hard to bully somebody in school in Jesus' name. Be hard to get drunk in Jesus' name. Because if we're doing everything in his name and we're giving thanks to God through that name, then we must be doing it in line with his will and in keeping with his character. So Paul says, whatever you do, Monday through Sunday, do it all in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God, the peace of God, the word of Christ, the name of Christ. And we see again the gratitude that we give thanks to God the Father through him. Three times he has emphasized to them the need for gratitude. Hendrickson, the commentator, says, prayer without thanksgiving is like a bird without wings. Another writer says, the Christian is suspended between blessings received and blessings hoped for, so they should always give thanks. We can very quickly begin to grumble and complain. We can very quickly lose our contentment. But Paul says, gratitude is to be a characteristic of our Christian lives and our Christian life together. One day as part of a medical team to Romania, we visited a nursing home, which was a pleasant nursing home, but the, the, the residents shared a room. These two ladies, one confined to her bed, and we went over and we asked her how she was doing, and she raised both arms in the air, and she said, I thank the Lord for everything. And I was rebuked. This older lady, confined to a bed, an invalid, and yet she was giving thanks in everything to God the Father through Christ. So Paul describes what a Christian church should look like. These three characteristics, love, peace, joy and gratitude. How do we arrive at that? The love of Christ, receiving that love, responding to that love, and then sharing that love with one another. The peace of Christ, enjoying peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and then seeking to maintain and to keep the peace, which he won at great cost to himself. The word of Christ, read, spoken, sung to one another. And the name of Christ in which we do everything and in which we give thanks for everything. The death and resurrection of the Lord is at the very heart of the gospel and at the very heart of of our Christian experience. If you are in Christ, you have died. 
to the old ways. You have put on the new self. You have a new identity. You belong to a new community. And so give thanks to God for all things. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you, like the Bereans, are eagerly searching the Scriptures to see if these things are true. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home, but you've yet to make the faith your own. Maybe at one point you did profess faith, but you have cooled in your affections towards the things of Christ. Like the prodigal son, you find yourself in a far country. Well, tonight we can return. We can come to him for the first time. We can come back to him for the umpteenth time. And we can enjoy that experience of his love. We can know once more that peace and we can find salvation in his name. In that name in which there is found the forgiveness of sins and newness of life. Well, we'll end there. And uh, as we do before we sing our final item, I'm going to pray once more and uh, we're going to remember Lizzie who has a, a, a medical appointment tomorrow in Inverness and we're going to give thanks as well for those who have prepared the food for the fellowship and I look forward to meeting with and speaking with many of you in the hall after the service. But let's just close with a brief word of prayer. O Lord, you are to me my cup and portion sure, the share that is assigned to me, you guard and keep secure. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day we have shared. We thank you for the weekend you have granted to us. We thank you for your loving kindness, for your steadfast love which reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness to the sky. And we thank you, Lord, that as we go from this place, that you have reminded us once more of that love and of your grace, the love you have for your people, the love you have for this world. You have reminded us of the work you have begun in our lives, a work you promised to bring to completion on the day of Christ that we have been raised with him, that our lives are hidden with him on high. And so help us this week to seek the things that are above, to look forward to the inheritance that he is keeping for us, that place he is preparing for us, and to live in light of eternity. Grant us grace, we pray, to put off, to put away, to put to death the old ways, ways that are not pleasing to you, to put to death the works of the flesh, the ways of this world, and instead to put on love, meekness, patience, kindness, for our hearts to be good soil for the word in which it might bear fruit. Help us to love you as our God and our Father. Help us to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And we pray for any in the congregation who are facing trials of many kinds, any who are anxious, any who are confined to their homes, any who are travelling to hospital, and we pray very especially for Lizzie in this regard. Help us, Lord, to love one another in both word and deed. And help us, Lord, to love those in our communities, that they would look in, they would see and hear something quite different, that many would have their interest piqued, Many would like the Colossian believers hear the word of truth and cease walking in the old ways and instead walk with you. We pray for your church in this nation. We pray for your church throughout the world. That great fruit would be born throughout the whole world and that you would raise up another generation of evangelists and preachers and Sunday school leaders and family workers and translators, that the word of truth may go forth, and your people may be found and built up and strengthened. Neighborhoods, homes, lives would be transformed by the word of Christ and the love of Christ. And we pray that might be true of ourselves, Lord. Help us this week, whatever we do, to do so with gratitude in our hearts and your praise on our lips, that we might continue in Christ, that we might continue in prayer, that we might continue walking in wisdom, and we might continue in faith and hope and love. Thank you for our fellowship together. Thank you for the fellowship tonight. And we thank you for those who in love have prepared a meal for us to enjoy. So strengthen and encourage them, we pray. And we give thanks to you in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we close our time together with a final psalm. Psalm 67 on page 301, Scottish Psalter version of Psalm 67, singing the whole psalm, all seven verses. Lord, unto us be merciful, do thou us also bless, and graciously cause shine on us the brightness of thy face. We sing once more to the praise of our glorious God.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the steadfast love of God our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.